welcome back again, my friends. Once again, the official 615 podcast. Many thanks to our good friends at Wilson County Hyundai for the sponsorship and the teammate and being great sponsor of this show. Check them out online at wilsoncountyhyundai.com. And Greg Pogue, number 20. Today is number 20 of our podcast. Yeah, once again, I want to thank the great folks here at Kitchen Notes, Omni Nashville Hotel, Music City, Todd Rotermel, and the great staff hooking us up with the biscuits and everything down here. And our guest, the voice of the Nashville Predators, Pete Weber. Pete, hello. Thanks for doing, doing this. Well, thank you for calling me in. I'm very much appreciate this. Call, we got we called you in. <laughs> That's right. <Yeah>. Man. <laughs> Went to the bullpen in the eighth. Yes. Yeah. And you were looking, and Goose Gossage comes out of the bullpen. <laughs> I was looking for Raleigh Fingers. Well, I just saw Raleigh Fingers not that long ago, and he's still using gallons of mustache wax to keep that thing <laughs> <Gallons>. going. <laughs> hey, you're known for something. Pete, a lot of things to get to. But what this team has just went through a couple weeks ago, really the, the pinnacle of a lot of different things. Of course, the run to the Stanley Cup Finals is, is the on-ice pinnacle. But the outdoor series game yes, and the two days before that, uh, the ceremony to re- retire Pecorine's jersey and hang in the rafters of Bridgestone Arena. What a great 72 hours. Great 72 hours. And I was reminded of that again recently. We're in Minnesota where they're retiring another jersey, Miku Koivu, before the game on Sunday. And that was that brought back more memories of Pekka's night. Yeah. And uh, so I'm starting the game with tears in my eyes again. <laughs> so it's just unfair. But, uh, no, it's great to see how the fans respond to those things. And then the outdoor game, the second ever for the Predators, the first one ever within the confines of the state of Tennessee. Oh, what a show that turned out to be. You go all the way from, let me guess, October the 10th of 1998. Yes, sir. To Because my daughter was born October 8th. That's why I remember that. Oh. <laughs> was she home by the time of the first game? We got home that day. <laughs> or that Saturday, we got home. Yeah, so I remember that. But to see the game evolve and get over to the Nissan Stadium, you were there from ground one. I mean, what was that like? Absolutely incredible, number one. And I have to give thanks here to another friend of ours, Joe Fisher, who was kind enough to lend me his uh, eight power wide angle binoculars uh, because sitting in the football broadcast, <laughs> right. I needed that for the plays down to my right. That was needed. And it worked perfectly even over these very thick glasses of mine. And I was able to pick out who was doing what. <laughs> That's a, did you use the monitor for that game or no? Do you uh, use I, monitors at all? I do. We'll look at them for sometimes for confirmation, but you really don't have time. And and some now this was different that night. We had a direct video feed from the truck. Okay. So there was no delay. That helped a little bit. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. But what? Sixty have what did they say? Sixty eight. Sixty eight thousand. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. a fantastic show. Fantastic show. So that was been the second largest crowd ever for the Predators. The first was at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas with eighty some thousand on New Year's Day a couple of years ago. And then this, and who would have thought that from that October 10th night where the public here in Music City gave the Predators a standing ovation for the opening face-off. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Let me take you back to the Pete Weber, the Notre Dame graduate. All right, you graduate Notre Dame. You called some games up there, right, already with yes. the uh, student-run broadcast? Yes. Hockey, basketball, and but whatever. Did all those, and then I went back for my grad degree and worked for the commercial station doing Notre Dame hockey as well. And uh, those were fun, fun times. And that's why I can't wait for Sunday's uh, NHL, or, uh, college hockey selection show. 
much like the people did for basketball. That will college hockey will be next Sunday. Really? Yeah. Nice. All right. So you go back and so you start doing hockey. What's your first job outside Notre Dame? Once you leave, get your uh, grad. My that. hometown radio station, Galesburg, Illinois, WGIL. I started there in uh, December of 72. I graduated midterm, and that was my first job. And then from there, back to South Bend, on to Buffalo, on to Los Angeles, on in a summer to Albuquerque. Uh, then Chick Hearn got me the job with the uh, brand-new Sonic Super Channel. Folks, there was a basketball team in Seattle named the Super Sonics, <laughs> and I worked there for a year, then went back. After I covered Gaylord Perry winning his 300th game for AP Radio, I went back to Buffalo and was there for 20 years until I came here. And the Bisons, obviously, yeah. the AAA there, it, that was such a large part of your career. Everybody, oh, yes. everybody here knows you for what you've done here. Yeah. And you and obviously with Crispy, we're going to get to that here in a little while, just the evolution of that. But the Buffalo, you're in the Buffalo Hall of Fame. You're in the New York State Hall of Athletics Hall of Fame. You're in uh, the Cheese Curd Hall of Fame. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I have it, not it, made the Cheese the, Curd yet. The, I am uh, still the, waiting the, for that. <laughs> no, that's Wisconsin. No, the, uh, the, the hot wing, you know, yes. the Buffalo wings. But that, that right there, if there's a large chunk of your career, that sort of defines you in a lot of ways, right? It does. And here's the interesting thing. I now have been in Nashville longer than I was in Buffalo. So I guess I've earned the gray hairs. Uh, to be certain, but uh, Nashville has been really the bulk of my career. But yeah, Buffalo is where I was allowed to develop and grow up professionally, uh, calling all the sports there. I got to ask, uh, you know, what's coming with the uh, you, you worked with OJ <laughs> yeah. in Buffalo, uh, and we're, this is before everything that went on. Yes, folks, I wasn't working <laughs> with him what, what in June of yeah. yeah. Okay. What happened? What was it like? Okay, let me. I guess your reaction from this when you saw all that go down and you worked with OJ for so many years, you had to be that had to be so surreal for you. It was surreal. It was crushing. I was having a difficult time at the outset believing it. Uh, I was in contact with. Uh, not the Kardashian family, but some of his attorneys, wondering if there was any, you know, character witnesses they were looking for. I did a weekly sports talk show at his uh, sports bar, the American Sports Bar and Grill on Transit Road in Buffalo. And uh, O.J. would frequently just drop in when he was doing the, an NBC game that week. He would drop in Thursday, Friday and uh, just as we say, shoot the bull with us. Was it before all this? I mean, he had to be walking like the king of Buffalo. I think better than that, over and above that. Yeah, that was, uh, he was the king of Buffalo, even though he was uh, asking for various trades over the piece, uh, passage of time and ultimately got sent home to San, uh, San Francisco um, shortly after the Bills' disastrous 56-17 uh, to 17 defeat by the Seahawks. Oh, goodness. We're talking 70... 77, yeah. So that's like their expansion year. They got drubbed by expansion The year team. after, yes. <laughs> but later on, those four Super Bowls, yes. uh, yeah, you were part of that, Jim Kelly, hosting shows. Tell us about that part of the, the Buffalo experience. So it was, our station had the rights. So I had the Bill Polian show, the Jim Kelly show, the Marv Levy show. <laughs> and then later on, I had a show... This is how crazy Bill's Mafia got. We had a show with the long snapper, Adam Lingner, who I still see when we go to Dallas. That's where he lives now. And we, we did a takeoff on the old Adams family open. He is the Bill's long snapper. He's, you know, <laughs> 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 
the Adam Lingner show. Uh, what would that have? Had they just won one, just one Super Bowl? Yeah, the narrative would have been changed so dramatically. There'd be so many more card tables that had not been broken <laughs> uh, after all that. Yeah, but I tell you that that first one, and somebody uh, messaged me uh, after Tom Brady's unretirement about now it's set. Right. The Bills have to meet Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. And I said, here's what's going to happen. The Bills are up 2019, <laughs> coming down the final drive for the Buccaneers, and they line up a potential game-winning field goal. But the ball does not make it through because it had been deflated. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> in Tampa. Uh, so you were there. Were you there at the game, the, the Giants game? Oh, yeah. I mean, so you got the Whitney Houston, the, the most amazing oh, rendition ever. Yes, absolutely. I don't care if it's taped or not. It was still beautiful. Yes, it was. Uh, and that game, when did it realize watching that Super Bowl, like, because the, there's no way the Giants on paper should have won that game. Correct. Right? That, but we don't play on paper. When did it hit you like, oh, my gosh, what's going on here? When I'm downstairs in the postgame locker room interviewing Scott Norwood. Oh. And he is answering every every potential question that could have come his way after all of that. And to see uh, the next day when we flew back into Buffalo and we had these helicopters uh, taking us downtown to Niagara Square for a rally. And then the fans are chanting, we want Scott. We want Scott. And he was behind me on the podium. He goes, do you think do they want to lynch me? What's going on here? <laughs> and no, they just wanted to give him their appreciation for what he had done. Buffalo, best wings. Uh, it's got to be Gabriel's Gate. Gabriel's Gate in the Allentown section of the city. And how good are they? When the Colorado Avalanche had one of my old Sabres buddies, Peter McNabb and the broadcast team go in there, they have me call Gabriel's Gate in case they get into town late so they stay open for them. And they're happy to do it because the lady who runs the establishment was a huge fan of Buffalo Sabre Peter McNabb. So it's easy. Oh, that is nice. Yes. Well done. I have to ask this question. Uh, my sweet mother would want the answer to this question. The Natural. Yep. All right. Uh, that was probably her favorite movie of all time. Uh, you were there at that time? Yep. That was um, my first year doing Bison Baseball in 1983. And they initially had been looking. Uh, I hate to say the guy's, the producer's name of the movie, but his name, it sounds fishy, but it is true. Mel Bourne. He's not from Australia. <laughs> and he was looking at the old ballpark in Rochester first and then said, that doesn't look enough like the polo grounds. So we suggested, we'll come see our War Memorial Stadium. Wow, this looks just like the polo grounds did. Wow. Perfect home for a New York Knights baseball team. So we, that was based in 1939. We had, uh, there was a little bit of Major League Baseball night action then, but we had so many uh, day games that were moved to the nighttime to accommodate daytime filming of mm. the movie. And I got to tell you, the field got roughed up pretty well with all the filming. Okay, slide again. Okay, slide again. Okay. <laughs> and, and that. So we had, like, I hit, we had two consecutive double headers that started at 9 p.m. <laughs> and that's where I was thankful the minor league baseball was seven inning double headers. That'd be great, though. But the iconic scene, Robert Redford and the yes, in the lights, uh, just the now whole that thing. That was that was shot on a Saturday morning, I believe, in late September, early October, and that ballpark was in the middle, and there's still a piece of the ballpark there in the middle of a neighborhood. So they're shooting off all those fireworks at three, four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Thankfully, it was a Saturday, so nobody was saying they had school the next day or nothing right. to worry about there. But uh, that was great to watch that restaged. I got to tell you. 
Pete, it was in Buffalo that you crossed paths with Jerry Helper yep. from day one, uh, the very first Nashville Predators employee, uh, I guess, along with uh, Jack Diller yes. but uh, as the president. But uh, it was that relationship and then him being in Tampa Bay yes. with you know, what, Terrence uh, Arthur yeah, uh, and that put you and Terry Crisp together. Talk about how that evolved. Well, he was Jerry was asking me who I would l maybe like to work with, and he said he brought up Terry's name, and I said, you know, you guys are so similar. I think you'd get along very well. But just keep in mind, Terry never remembered me interviewing him either while he was coach of the Calgary Flames <laughs> or the Tampa Bay Lightning, so he had no idea about whom Jerry Helper was speaking. But <laughs> our first game together, which was the Predators' first game, that one nothing shutout loss to Florida, uh, it, it clicked. And uh, so they said, we had another guy that was going to do the radio games. Keep in mind back then, I think our maximum television uh, broadcast schedule was 45 games. And we did some on what was then Fox Sports Net and then 15 on uh, Channel 58. And uh, so the radio guy was Mike Greenlay, who then went on to the Minnesota Wild uh, after some time elsewhere in the NHL. And so we worked back and forth, and then all of a sudden they said to Terry, would you like to come back and do some more? And he goes, I'll tell you what. He put out a deal. He thought there's no way they would, they would meet. Give me a three-year contract. I'll sell the house in Tampa and move to Nashville. Jack Diller said, done. <laughs> Terry called Sheila. said, Taylor, we're selling the house. Put the house on sale down in Tampa. We're coming up here. Did it work immediately, you and him? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was uh, perhaps uh, the best meshing I've ever had with a, a broadcast partner. Why? Why did it work? Because we're both sick human beings, <laughs> and <laughs> I think we worked off each other pretty well that way. <laughs> That's where you're going to put that. Yeah. Uh, and so the relationship lasted more than 20 years. I mean, it yeah, was it continues. just... You guys, to, uh, you know, and Greg and I think you guys are just kind of timeless. I mean, radio does that to us for making, yeah. for keeping the voices there forever. You don't age, at least in our eyes, you don't. And so that's the beautiful thing of radio. It just, it's always there. It can, you, the voice can go, and I'm hoping that doesn't happen. But uh, yeah, radio and like Bob Miller was my partner with the Los Angeles Kings years ago. And he is a University of Iowa grad. His classmate was the voice of NFL films, Harry Callis. So Harry did the uh, Philadelphia Phillies for a long, long time. And I don't know if I definitely want to go out like this, but, you know, he was carried out of the broadcast booth in Washington dead from a heart attack during a pregame show. Well, and his son, what, does the Cowboys? Todd. Yeah, yeah. does the Cowboys. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we don't, yeah. Just, boom, gone. Yes, In gone. the booth. Yeah. <laughs> And I'll tell you, I know this is a podcast, but I probably shouldn't tell this. I don't want to be smirching anybody's. But Harry doing NFL on Mutual Radio came in to my broadcast booth during a Bills pregame show, and I heard the door open behind me. And he goes, hey, Pete. Well, yeah, Harry. <laughs> Where do you go to take a, a round here? And I said, just down the hall there, go to your right. <laughs> so to have that voice ask that question at that point in time was just absolutely priceless. When, when the franchise started and you and Pete, part of the 
I think allure was the fact that you, this was a non-traditional hockey market and the, you know, hockey one-on-one and yeah. everything. I, do you sense that, that how important you and Terry's role was in just opening up this market to people who had never been around hockey? I don't sense my importance in doing that, but I do sense the importance of the organization's desire to do those things and to see how many people suddenly became grad students, essentially. Uh, we went from Hockey 101 to grad-level uh, questions that we got from everyone. My most fun time doing it was one of the appearances of the Hanson Brothers, the Slapshot Group. They came in. They were sponsored by Bud Light. They went all around the NHL, and they would do things like skate behind the Zamboni as if they were water skiing <laughs> and you know, holding on to the handles as they did that. So Stevie Carlson... The center, and by the way, he's just gotten through a cancer battle, and I'm so happy for that. But I was with him on the L.A. Kings when he was playing there. So he's, I saw him before their appearance, and he said, I told him what was going on with Hockey 101 in the arena, the old arena theater that was upstairs in the tower. And I talked them into coming up and bursting in to the class. <laughs> uh, kind of like uh, they burst into the... Uh, the commissary in Blazing Saddles, you know, <laughs> right. toward the end of that movie. And it was absolute hilarity. Absolute <laughs> hilarity. Well, you know, this is something off that. The movie Slapshot, we know you love it. We all love it. For hockey, for some, you, you take that movie, Paul Newman. I mean, yes. just in that movie, the impact it had on pop culture hockey cannot be calculated. No, it can't. And, and Paul, you know the story about how badly he wanted to do that movie. Right? No. He was, had read the script. He was convinced. So he found out that the guy who had uh, taken them through, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, George Roy Hill, was having a breakfast meeting in Santa Monica. He parked himself outside that breakfast meeting and waited for George Roy Hill to come out to convince him not only to do the film, but to cast him in it. And uh, obviously he did a very good selling job. <laughs> he did. He was 50, wasn't he, when he did that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just the movie and the characters and the Hanson brothers, and it's a timeless movie. Well, and still, my my connection, I still hear from Killer Carlson, Jerry Hauser, who was in uh, Class of 41 or, or class, Summer of 41, Class of 43, and uh, he will call Claudia on her birthday and wish her happy birthday <laughs> on her cell phone. <laughs> Jerry, just a fantastic person. So many of those people uh, that were part of that film, uh, still a big part of my life. That is good. Uh, again, it's a podcast, the official 615 podcast brought to you by our good friends at Wilson County Hyundai. Check them out online at wilsoncountyhyundai.com. Payne Bone and his staff have one job to get you in the perfect car at the perfect price, and they'll get it done. Check them out, Wilson County Hyundai at wilsoncountyhyundai.com. At the Omni Nashville Hotel Kitchen Notes, our guest, Pete Weber, voice of the Predators. You just mentioned Claudia. Yeah. Claudia, your bride. Yes. When did you meet her? Tell me about the the genesis of, of, of oh, this relationship. Oh, we're going to go to we're yeah. gonna first, the, first the Bible. <laughs> yeah, right at the, right at the Bible. In the so, beginning. So in the beginning, or as they always say, that's a baseball term, in yeah. the beginning. Uh, <laughs> I met Claudia uh, outside the, the uh, Sabres dressing room before doing a uh, the wraparound TV programming for the Sabres in Quebec Nordiques uh, in January of 85. And uh, we, a bunch of us all went out together after the game that night. And that's, you know, unfortunately for her, that's where it all began. <laughs> but she was from Knoxville, right? How did, I mean, no, her, you... her family was living in Knoxville. Okay. She was born in Pittsburgh. Okay. Raised in Columbus, Ohio. 
Uh, and so when she that's meets, the Ohio State the fanship, Ohio State, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, that takes care of that part, right? <laughs> and uh, she, so she was a big sports fan to begin with, that was not that much into hockey, and subsequently has really gotten into hockey. She, it, it even got to the point where Buffalo's Farm Club, the Sabres Farm Club, was the Rochester Americans, sixty-five miles away down the New York Thruway, and she wanted to go over. When Ron Hextall, now the general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins, was playing because he was a very aggressive goaltender. Uh, he could have been a surgeon the way he approached the game because he slashed everybody <laughs> in front of the net. And so when she knew Hershey was in town playing the Rochester Amherst, she wanted me to take her over there so she could see Ron Hextall work his voodoo. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Well, and then obviously what we saw outwardly of Pete and Terry, yep. the relationship with Terry's wife, Sheila, yes. and your wife, Claudia, it, it's just one big family right now. It's very, very nice that that has worked out as uh, well as it has. And even to the point where, you know, we went to their daughter Kaylee's wedding in Banff, Alberta. Boy, then she has three children now. So that was a little while ago. Uh, and oftentimes spend a little part of the summer in St. Mary's, Ontario, where Terry and Sheila, St. Mary's is, is Sheila's hometown. Uh, Terry played his junior B hockey there for the St. Mary's Lincolns, and Sheila's father essentially was the chief sponsor of the team. So Terry married the owner's daughter. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So how long have you been married? Since 89. I met Claudia in 85. She turned me down until 89. Oh my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> to eighty nine. Uh, so in the Buffalo time you spent there, did you ever think you were going to leave? I mean, were you, would you have stayed there forever? I was offered a chance to do one major league team that I won't mention right now, but uh, I they were offering me less money than I was making in Buffalo, so that's not a wise thing to do. Shortly after you just got married, <laughs> right? Not very intelligent, but I thought. I truly thought that Major League Expansion was going to come to Buffalo because they were doing everything right. But it just did not turn out to be. So then I had to open myself up and think about maybe going back. Uh, baseball, hockey, football, basketball. I had done the Seattle Sonics. So what the heck? Be wide open and see what's out there. So when did you do the, the Supersonics? 81, 82. After uh, my time uh, with the Kings and the Lakers, so I was there two years after they won the championship, and I talked with some of the people. I, I had not been back there really until the Predators played there recently. And my first time in the Kraken's rink was that was where we had played our postseason Sonics games because we were in the regular season in the Kingdom. But then there's this Mariners team that came in that would push us out. So we went to that rink or, or the building where the Sonics are playing, and my last time in there had prior to the Predators game in Seattle – was in May of 82 when they played the Spurs in the second round of the playoffs. Did you ever get to say, downtown Freddie Brown? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> downtown yes. Freddie Brown. And uh, I tell you, <laughs> Bob Rathburn, who was the voice of the, of the Sonics on radio, had this little thing where he'd go, downtown Freddie Brown, he shoots and he hits. Once he transposed those two, uh, and, <laughs> and he was embarrassed for quite some time. There was a, a few. We're not going to get to the bloopers that you, you, and you and and, and Terry. Pete Weber is our guest, voice of the Predators, here on the official Six One Five podcast. Uh, we almost lost this team. Yes, the Preds. It looked like I was preparing it, my house for it, sale. Yeah, and Craig Leopold. 
who brought it here, stepped up, quite frankly. He could have sold it to Jim Basile if he wanted to. Yes. And he no, I did, think that would have been superseded by NHL Commissioner Bettman, the way things were yeah, going. Yeah, that wasn't going to happen. No. 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 And he, but still. There was a there was a, a time here. That a lot of people don't you know. What, it was, was very it 15 real. Fifteen years ago, maybe fifteen. It was 07. Yeah, oh seven. Fifteen years yeah. ago, that that this team almost left. Yes, and I was preparing because my contract at that point in time called for me to go wherever the team was. So it looked like Hamilton, Ontario. You know, forty minutes from Buffalo. Looked like I was going to end up moving back there <laughs> and commuting, and going across the bridge every day, at least every game day. So uh, yeah, that was scary period of time to be certain and uh it's kind of interesting isn't it that the most recent nhl outdoor game was in that city hamilton ontario that's right and uh how that would have uh, gone i i don't think there's any question it would have gone over uh the predators played or rather the sabers played a number of neutral site games in hamilton and always drew well what would that have done to this city had the preds left i mean it from the Chamber of Commerce view of thinking, man, they lost a team here. I don't know if I want to put my business there. There's all these collateral oh, damage after that. Absolutely. And, you know, what becomes of what is now Bridgestone Arena? Ooh. The, you know, you're losing a, a major tenant. Uh, and I don't. And I, the company that managed it. Yes, that's right. Powers Management. Yes. What would have happened? Uh, all those things that. Uh, who would it be? Uh, Martin Stone would be the movie producer who would probably come up with what that would be. Yeah, yeah, it would have been something else. Yeah. Uh, take us through your game day. As we tape this, it's a Tuesday. The Predators playing the Penguins. What's your game day like? So I, uh, I was up this morning, 8 o'clock, finished up my notes for tonight's game, which I had started last night, then uh, drove downtown, uh, do my interview with the coach, and right here in my pocket is a major part of tonight's pregame show. Right here on this little recorder. Ooh. There's Coach Hines. He's well, let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> it would be so dated by the time yeah. this gets out. But, uh, yeah, uh, interview him and talk to some of the guys. And then uh, usually I will speak at length with the visiting broadcasters. But Pittsburgh's broadcasters did come in. There are some teams that do not. Still doing remotely, huh? Yes. Wow. And I think that is so difficult. Uh, and, number one, the removal from the team mm -hmm. and your interaction with them, how much easier that makes your job. Just things you don't calculate, but matter-of-fact references you can toss in from something you heard that day. And I had John Hines this morning, I uh, because NHL is trying to do as much internationally as they can, John Hines had, there, were, there was this lengthy German quote from John Hines uh, who was helped out <laughs> Uh, by a translator, an interpreter, about the season Roman Yossi is having. And uh, if you want me, I can read it for you. Sure. Roman is der beste Abwehrspieler der NHL. Er spielt eine unglaubliche Saison. Er ist ein All-Star, ein Superstar für unsere Mannschaft. Wenn ich auf andere Verteidiger schaden, gibt es Neil Kernan für uh, der für sein Team, de Bart wichtig ist. In other words, he's having a fantastic year. Something you cannot imagine, and I can't think of any team that has a defenseman that's more important to it. Goodness. It sounds like Greg's gibberish when he calls me at night after I've been drinking. I kind of understood most of that. See, that, <laughs> that, 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 that hurts just a little bit. <laughs> but only a little bit. Just a little bit. So do you go home? Will you go home and relax, or do you stay I downtown? Will, I will go home, and I will find some way to get about an hour nap in, and then 
put all the stuff together, drive in, get to the rink by about 5 o'clock, take my stuff upstairs, unpack it, and get ready to go. I'd be scared to death to take a nap because my alarm would not go off. My alarm on this little device here, this iPhone, goes off and wakes me flawless <laughs> because I set two of them. Right. So if I turn off one, there's still another one. Coming. And then you have Claudia as the back. As the back but back. She's, yeah. she works today, so uh, she's not there to save me. We'll call you. What time okay. are you on this call? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you do the game. I listen to the game on the radio because I listen to you as much as I can. Uh, and so the intermission, when do you get a break? Do you get a break during the game? Intermissions, yes. So Darren McFarland, as it was in the early years, it was Willie Donick doing the intermissions. Uh, Darren takes over the intermissions, and uh, I run out, talk to some people in the hallway. We have some friends coming to the game tonight, so I'll come talk to them, and they understand I won't have a lengthy conversation. Right. I'm always going out with a stopwatch around my neck so I know how much time I have. Smart. It, it's, if you don't do that, you're setting yourself up for failure. Greg, you got one of those? Yeah, I got, but I use it just to get away from people <laughs> that I don't want to talk to. <laughs> talk a little bit about the hockey. How good is this team? Because they're right there. Yeah. They're going into the Pittsburgh game. Of course, this is going to drop, drop. It'll be available on Thursday. And, yeah, when, and, when yeah. Uh, Claude Giroux was playing his 1,000th game for the Flyers. Right. We'll have another pregame ceremony there. Then it, I, it sounds like they're going to trade him right after the game. Yeah. They, so... Yeah, here's your thousandth game stick, and hey, thank you very much. So but long. The, thank the you. trade deadline, a lot of conversation Monday. about Phillips, Philip Forsberg, obviously, yeah. with that. And won't even go into that. That's a Poyle Hines decision, but uh, David Poyle, obviously, the general manager. But can this team, I mean, this team was an eight seed when it went to the finals. Correct. So can this team position itself to make a deep run? Yes, it can. And the Predators were not the first eighth seed mm -hmm. to do that and make the final. The LA Kings, a couple of years before, uh, made the playoffs only in the last day. And then they swept through <laughs> three right. series and then went ahead and won the cup against the uh, New Jersey Devils. And then two years later, did the same thing. So uh, not the Devils, but the Rangers that time. When you get hot at the right time, and I was thinking about this just the other day. March 10th, I believe, was the anniversary. When I was with the Kings, we made a trade with the New York Islanders. We sent them Butch Goring for a defenseman, Dave Lewis, and a forward, Billy Harris. And that sparked their four consecutive cup wins. Uh, so things can happen uh, very unexpectedly. And the Kings fans still rue the day that Butch was traded away. And Butch will still call me on that anniversary because I was the one who took him to the airport in Montreal to send him on to the Islanders. So that was a special time. But goaltending, certainly there. Yes. The blue line, the d defense, certainly there. Yep. Duchesne has put the past oh. in what he's got, 31 goals, I yes. believe, somewhere in the 30s. Obviously, Forsberg as well. Yossi. This team seems set to make that run. Uh, the glue is Granlin. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling yeah. you all this stuff. What the heck? <laughs> I, I like that. And here's another part of glue yeah. or the as the identity of the team that John Hines likes to refer to. The beast line. When you have Trennan, Sissons, and Janot out there willing to run through and over anybody, uh, that's a big, big help. Tanner Janot, rookie of the year. In, in my the, mind, in the yes. conversation, yes, sir. In my mind, yes. Yeah. 
let's uh i'm gonna go we talked before the show but i want to go back the series on hbo uh with the lakers yes winning Which, time winning time all right you were out there during all that where were you when magic got drafted were you out there with the lakers then or oh, that yeah. la yeah that was and through the whole discussion uh, because it was time for the coin flip with the Chicago Bulls as to who would get the first pick. 79, right? Yep. And it was uh, the talk being that it would uh, most likely uh, be a chance. Be- David Greenwood would be the second pick going to the Chicago Bulls. And there, uh, the talk in the Lakers' office was serious talk about Sidney Moncrief. But the team was just in the process of being handed off, sold, to Jerry Buss from Jack Kent Cook, but Jack Kent Cook said, I want my legacy to be Irvin Johnson. And so they mm. took they took magic, and uh, Sidney Moncrief is a magnificent pro. No question about that. But Magic Johnson, when, with that uh, hook shot by Kareem in the opening game in San Diego against my old Buffalo Braves, the, the uh, San Diego Clippers at that <laughs> point in time, uh, and... It looked like magic almost crushed the air out of Kareem's body, hugging him after that shot. Wow. But that was the beginning of a great relationship between those two, which propelled them to what? Eight finals in the NBA and five titles. So the, the book comes up by Jeff Perlman. They adapted the HBO series, and you're not a fan. I'm not a fan of what I saw in that first episode because I think it is so inaccurate, historically inaccurate. Jerry Buss, uh, I'm sorry, Jerry West was not a drunk who constantly raged about young players. I mean, he even had a tempestuous relationship a bit with Kareem, but he made things work, and he was not like that at all. The portrayal of Jack Kent Cook is nowhere near how, how I remember the man, who really was my first boss in pro sports. And uh, then the impossibility of casting actors to make you believe that's magic. <laughs> right. That's Kareem. <laughs> you know, uh, that's, I guess the closest they came was with the actor who's portraying Norm Nixon. That he did, he did make me think of Norm. That's uh, something else, you know, but let's take all that aside. You were in the middle of all that. What an amazing time. I mean, what, oh. I mean, what an am- showtime in LA and magic and all that stuff. I had to be, I still probably pinch yourself that. It yeah. Was all well, that. what about that, that year? So Jack McKinney, had been hired as coach away from the Portland Trailblazers staff. And then he got in a bicycle accident, suffered a concussion. So the guy he brought down as his assistant, Paul Westhead, all of a sudden has the, the reins <laughs> to take them through the championship. And then Jerry Buss had to go through the pain of telling, you know, afterward Jack McKinney that, okay, this guy, your assistant, won the, the championship for us. Uh, we can't keep you here. So he went to the Indiana Pacers and I think did pretty darn well there. But that was a tumultuous thing. There was Spencer Haywood, or as he was referred to, he was a backup forward on that team. He was referred to by uh, Peter Vesey in the New York Post as Spencer Driftwood because he was, he was having his problems with substance abuse at that point in time. And one morning during the Western Conference Final with Seattle, he passed out during the stretches on the floor. I shouldn't laugh, but I'm no, but, but seeing it, that. It's true. It's true. And that's, you know, who knows? Maybe that gets brought up in this series if I can make myself watch another episode of it. <laughs> but uh, that was a very special time. And what Magic did in Game 6, in Game 5, Kareem rolled his ankle over on the top of the foot of Lionel Hollins, 
sprained his ankle and wasn't able to join the team to go to Philadelphia for game six. But that turned out to be the final because Magic had the magnificent game uh, just really uh, dominating on the boards. You know, uh, the, the mayor of Lovetron was not too uh, successful against Magic in that particular game. And the one thing I remember from that series, aside from the Lakers winning the championship, was this unbelievable underneath scoop by Julius Irving against Mark Landsberger. And, and Mark Landsberger is going to be remembered for giving that one up for a long time. But anybody would have given that. Right. Anybody. Yeah, Daryl Dawkins, by the way. I got the yes. reference. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> with, with, with love, Tron. I've yes. been there. I, I got one more for you. Uh, do you have in your career, are, are you different parts of people you worked with? Are, like, is there a part of Chick Hearn in you? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I, but uh, not enough because Chick was so absolutely spectacular. I think he's the best basketball play-by-play caller I've, I've heard to this day. <clears throat> Bob Miller, who was my partner in the Kings broadcast, really taught me how to be a, a broadcast pro. Uh, and <laughs> his 83rd birthday was about five, six weeks ago. And I found a Mexican deli about half mile from his home in Simi Valley and used my Grubhub app, and got him lunch for his birthday. He didn't know it was coming, and he called me and said, wow, I didn't know they made burritos that big. And it was a burrito would have covered this table we're at right now. Oh, I, nice. sent, I sent two of them over, and he said, when my wife Judy got back home, I said, well, I got lunch, Judy. And they said it was lunch and dinner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we could do this all day, man. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thanks we, for asking me in. We love you, man. We think the world of you. Go get a nap. Okay. <laughs> After I have some of those biscuits. Yes. Yes. That's Pete Weber, the official 615 podcast brought to you by good friends at WilsonCountyHyundai.com. It truly gets no better than our friend Pete Weber. Greg? Yeah. And thanks to the folks here, Todd Rotermel, the great staff here, Kitchen Notes, and the Omni Nashville Hotel. Thanks, Pete. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it.